if I took a poll within a, a big a big church, let's say there's a thousand people, how many have speeding tickets? How many have uh, abused their spouses? How many have cheated on their taxes? I bet those stats would look identical to if you just pulled a thousand people at random in the city. Yeah. And so, and it doesn't make sense. And then the argument's always, well, Christians aren't perfect. We're just like you and me. But it's like, then what's the point? If what's your works point? aren't changing after it, then what are we doing? It's all, it's selfish to me is that argument is because they're saying, well, it's just about me getting into heaven, but I know I'm not perfect. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't think that's what Christ is teaching at all. No. And it rubs me the wrong way. And even more as I get into my old age. Dearly beloved, welcome to the unblessed podcast, where we inquire and exposit the mysteries of that ancient text that good book itself, the Holy Bible. We are not theologians nor historians. We are but armchair philosophers who spent years in seminary or on a church staff and have since departed to make our own way. We invite you now to read, think, and laugh with us as we dive deep into the denominational doctrines of the divine in the Unblessed Podcast. Welcome to the Unblessed Podcast. My name is Evan. And I'm Scott. And we are two ex-disciples in college. Scott, did you ever do uh, any sort of college ministry? I lived it. I lived and breathed college ministry. You lived and breathed college ministry? Tell me how that was. Uh, every, Almost every day of my life in college was committed to the Navigators. Are you familiar with the Navigators? The Navigators? Um, I am a little bit familiar with the navigators. Um, they were like the nerd group of, I felt like college ministry groups were like Harry Potter houses and I'm not familiar with the Harry Potter fella, but I do know there's a lot of personality quizzes online about the guy. I know there's a lot of Satanism. <laughs> All I know is I wasn't allowed to read the books. Yeah. All I know is that Harry Potter's the devil, but the lion, the witch and the wardrobe is fine. That's right. Anything by, uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings is fine. We can have elves and magic in that. Any magic written by a man is okay, but if it's a woman, it's not. <laughs> it's very accurate. Uh, but navigators, so at least at my college at Purdue, it was the cool Christian club was um, Campus Crusade for Christ, which yeah. has a horrible marketing name, by the way. But yeah, it, it got renamed <laughs> to like Crew. Just Crew. Yeah, Crew, yeah. which is... It's like, what does that mean? And it's like, well, it's short for Campus Crusade for Christ. It's short for Crusades, <laughs> where we kill people so they believe in Christ. <laughs> like, yikes. Uh, crew was the cool group. They had all all the hotties, yeah. all the they had They had, like, jeans with metal belts. They had, like, chain wallets. They had... They had the Bible covers with, yeah, uh, flames with, on them. Yeah, with flames on them. And then you had... <laughs> Uh, Navs, which was was yes. Navs also an offshoot of Billy Graham because Crew was. Uh, no, it was. If I remember the name, it was Dawson Trotman was the starter of Navs. Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman. Dawson. Uh, Dawson Trotman. If, over if I remember the lore 
correctly is there was some revival in like the, I don't know, sometime in the 20th century, it was like 1940s or some 50s, and they called them the Haystack Revivals. And apparently that's where Crew and Nabs were born. I remember this. Separately. It was like two boys were like, hey, we're going to start college campuses, and you're going to be the nerdy one, and I'm going to be the cool one. Um, yeah, Nabs was, they're all the same flavor, yeah. essentially. Um, I, but yeah. yeah. I was Baptist Campus Ministry. Ooh, they were they were nerdy at my school. The the BCM crew. <sighs> yeah. What was yours like? <laughs> I I think so we would have a lot of people that like went to Baptist churches when they grew up. And our attendance would be pretty good at the start of a semester and then people would figure out like, "Oh, these people are like Baptist Baptist." And then they would like peter out and so we had like a lot of like different Baptist churches that actually did their own campus ministry. Like while we were there, my church formed its own college ministry uh, outside of the BCM. But I was more plugged in with the BCM than I was anything else. But you also mm-hmm. had um, uh, Calvary Baptist did the well on Wednesday nights. <laughs> Sick. Um, First Baptist had epic on Tuesday <laughs> nights. <laughs> And so when we were trying to think of um how we, we oh, were trying no. to think of our like Wednesday night service name, um, which we ended up with like just Wednesday night or whatever. Uh we, yeah, I know. We just could think I was like, why don't we call ourselves the cistern? Oh God, <laughs> the cistern. <laughs> A buddy of mine was like, let's just be honest, let's call ourselves the better well. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'm so there was such a weird rivalry between all the campus ministries. Like there was true. Yeah. I remember I was approached by I I went to this church for a few years at Purdue and I remember having a conversation with the pastors about my involvement with NAVS. And he was like, why do you do NAVS? And I was like, because it's fucking cool. I don't know. (laughs) He was like, fair point. But he was like, why don't you get involved with, we have a church college ministry and I think you should be part of that because it's tied to a local church and NAVS doesn't have any church ties to it. It's just a ministry. Yeah. yeah. And it actually, it, he brought up a good point because I was like, that is a good point because I think at that time in my life, I thought it was very important to get tied into a local church and you need to make sure that as you're discipling people, they should be going somewhere to spend their money. Um, So, I had, for a while, I almost, I debated leaving NAVS, but I ended up uh, sticking around because NAVS had more, A, more people and more stuff to do than just like sitting around the fellowship hall of a church once a week. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but did you have rivalries at college with, between your No, yeah. Streets? I remember like trying to recruit people to come to Forest Lake. I probably should name name them. Oops. Um, Too late. What are they going to do? Sue me. I remember uh, trying to recruit people to Forest Lake, and, um, you know, people would be like, well, I like Emmanuel more, or I like First Baptist more, or I like this more, or whatever. And, or like, you know, I'm just going to drop them all North River, North Ridge, this, that, or the other. Um, The Cistern, uh, Alberta, um, lots of different, uh, Coling, lots of different. Uh, church names really they were just regional there was nothing like special yeah. i think capstone community might have been uh one but like i i just i remember being like almost like a uh football recruiter 
Yes. For like yeah. uh, churches, I was just like, all right, let's. I want to, you know, I'm going to meet people at the BCM, and I'm going to see who I vibe with, and I'm going to take them out for like lunch or dinner or whatever, like, <laughs> like you know, like go out yeah. for a coffee and you know get to know them a little bit more, get their story, and I'm going to be like, hey, go ahead and come? get another steak yeah. there. Go why, on, yeah. Why don't get you some come ice to, cream? Yeah, why don't you come to church? Hey, I'm paying, you know, uh, something like that. Like, why don't you uh, come on to church this? Uh, a Sunday morning and just see what it's like. And, you know, it worked for some people. How much you can know? you bench press? You'd be good yeah. on O-line. You know, how, how many? <laughs> <laughs> You're a strong uh, boy. Yeah. Um, so uh, what's your salvation story? Mm, no no drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's great. How much do you jack off a week? Um, <laughs> no, like, I, it, it was really wild and you there was like a rivalry between all of the different campus ministries because there's a yeah. bit of a financial like to yep. say there's a financial rivalry between the college student between college ministries i remember there was a uh, pastor who was talking about how he did a college i think it was actually jd greer now that i'm thinking about it um who was oh, talking boy. about doing a uh, college ministry and he was like one time we passed around an offering plate and one person put in a half-eaten <laughs> biscuit in the no. offering plate. <laughs> and he was like, well, we are on a college campus, so. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I, I guess this counts. Um, which The I mean, financial aspect was a real part of it, though. I mean, which no is, one would want to say it, but that's what it was about. That's stupid. It's so yeah. wild. Like, the fact, the idea that you would get so many... I think the whole aspect is you would get more uh, mobilization from college students than anything else. You're not going to get money from them. You're not going to get college students going out and like, you're not going to get, you can get college students to raise money. That's the thing. You cannot get college students to give you money. No, not that's, at all. That's not, that's not Did happen. you have any like end of year drives though, where they actually asked the students to give? No. I remember that being a very weird moment for me because my freshman year during NAVS, they have an end of the year banquet. And I went to it just thinking it was like, oh, we're just going to reflect on the year and like talk about recruitment efforts next year. But then they asked every student, they're like, but before you go, we really want you to pledge money for, you know, a one-time gift I to think, help the ministry. I think that's because both the BCM and any college ministry I was plugged into was church funded. Oh, so yeah. See, and so, Nabs and, and crew yeah. are all just... Yeah. Oh, by... yeah. Crew, I, I looked into being a part of crew when I was in Indianapolis, and their whole mm. thing was you had to raise money. You had to raise the money that would be your salary. Absolutely. You you are fundraising your, your livelihood, and that's why they're so intense with recruiting kids and talking to their parents <laughs> yeah. so they can it's, get mommy and daddy's money. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Well, speaking of college. Yes, Jesus. Evan and I watched a college movie, a college flick. So deplorable. So upsetting. I gave my life to Christ after the movie just so I wouldn't have to watch another one of these movies. Evan, what movie did we watch? (laughs) It has a one-star rating out of 10 on IMDb. 
It's called Gramps Goes to College. It is available for you to watch on YouTube for free. It's not like you have to buy it. For free. You can look (laughs) it up right now. You can watch it as soon as you're done with this podcast or while you're watching this podcast. I don't give a shit. Go ahead. Um, This guy. Donald James Parker. starts out lifting weights in the weight room with this guy who's doing an eternity amount of reps (laughs) on a machine. It's just the whole fucking thing. And Gramps is just, he'll do like three bicep curls and then continue to talk. And then he'll do like six and then continue to talk. And it's, it, I'm not saying that I'm a workout. I'm not saying I'm a gym rat, but like, don't you need some kind of consistency there? Like, it's not like he's busting it and it's like, okay, I got my seven. I got to complete like the next three. He's just like, oh yeah, well, all these colleges nowadays, they're just teaching kids like, what to think and not how to think and this, that, or the other. And he he's the most bulliable old man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he's and insufferable. He goes and enrolls. Um, he, he enrolls in college and he enrolls in uh, and he gets to the dorm and he's like, hi, can you tell me where the dorm is? Like, oh, is this for your son? He's like, uh, no, it's for me. Why Duh. wouldn't you think it's for me? And it's like, because you're 70 fucking years old, <laughs> you douchebag. Yeah, he lives in the dorm with a college freshman who is a budding young Christian. And we, we won't go through the entire movie plot, but the main plot is that he has beef with the college system teaching evolution mainly. That's his number one beef is the biology teacher who yeah. is sexually charged conversations throughout the whole movie with the biology te- professor. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a movie where he's the hero in every situation. He's the smartest guy in the room at all times. He has no flaws, no flaws. And he oh. can be a dick, but he's right each and every time. I don't think I can piece together the plot because it, it just kind of jumps around. Uh, it's, it's like 12 church skits just piled on top of each other that are all the same message that evolution and the Bible don't work together. It is one full movie of an improv. We call these 11 scenes. And what an 11 scene is, is you have just take the number 11 and imagine both ones were people. And that's all they do in the scene is they stand there and they talk to each other. (laughs) Nobody's actually doing anything in any of these scenes. No. There's there's no like there's no action. Oh, nobody's like someone's getting cooking. Lunch tray yeah, nobody's getting somewhere. a lunch tray. They're just sitting. And I think the big thing is I can't remember if it's called ADR or whatever, but the yes. entire movie is dubbed with no background sound. And when people are off screen shouting at them, being like, "Hey, that's that nerd. That's that's <laughs> that Christian nerd." It is dubbed over. It is yeah. dub audio, and you can hear it. It's so. The whole movie is so bad. And there is a great part in the middle of the movie where there's a chess match. Oh, God. And they start, this guy starts talking about fluoride in your water and how it's causing cancer. That floored me. I was, I was expecting the whole debate on evolution and how colleges are, you know, turning people away from the Lord, but when he opened his mouth about fluoride in the drinking water, <laughs> I, I lost my damn mind. This and I, oh, I I could go on with that. I did movie. not. 
I did not expect it to take that much of a turn. No. And there's also some strange, uh, a lot of sexual purity talk in the movie too. I, one of my favorite scenes is uh, he is invited over to dinner at the biology professor's house, which one up until that point, he's nothing but just a prick to her. He just is combative. He's argumentative. He's not charming at all. Yet she is somehow wildly and just head over heels attracted to him. So she invites him over uh, for wine and dinner. He refuses wine because he's a man of the Lord. And oh, and she he takes has off this, her... he has this amazing yeah. line. It just seems strange to me that we yeah. that we would ferment fruits and we're perfectly fine ingesting them, but when vegetables go bad, we throw them out. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you dummy. <laughs> Guess we can't have anything nice in this world. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite part is they sit down for dinner, and she takes her blazer off, and she has a long sleeve dress on with maybe a centimeter of neckline and cleavage showing. And he turns his face away from the table and goes, uh, uh, I have a surprise for you. I'm going to lay it on you. And he puts her jacket back on her. And he says something like, I'm trying to keep my sainthood. Like he says, don't you want me to look at your face when I'm talking to you? Oh, and somehow she finds this like insanely attractive. Like she keeps pursuing him the whole movie. Um, I'm convinced it's just his wife in real life and she's signed up for this horrible movie. But yeah, the sexual purity stuff, there's a lot of undertone of repressing your sexuality. There's like a scene in the beginning where uh, there's like two college girls that move in together and one's one's the slut and then one's the good Christian yeah, girl. One's the, one's the slutty, the slutty senior who used <sighs> to be a Christian and the grandpa Gramps at some point is like, I think God used to know her. I, I have a feeling. <laughs> I think God um, used to know but her. But she moves in with this girl who is already is just, you know, a Bible believing fucking nerd. <laughs> and like all these, like it, it cuts to the senior talking with all of her friends. And they're like, well, you're going to corrupt her because you used to believe in all that stuff. And we took you to one party and it was bottoms up. <laughs> like it's, it's, oh my God. Like these movies are so great because it's like watching a movie where aliens studied yes. a little bit about humans and then decided to make a movie about humans. It's it. Absolutely. It's like if someone has never stepped foot on a college campus or I would even say any public area in their life and decided this is how humans interact and they made a movie. Oh Yeah. I, the whole it, it follows the exact trope of a science class. Yep. The professor gets up and goes, "Who here believes in God?" Well, you're yeah. not going to believe in God by the end of this semester. The exact same plot of God's Not Dead Part One. Oh, it's like a shittier God's Not Dead. Yeah, at least God's Not Dead had Kevin Sorbo, which was a little bit of eye candy yeah. for the movie, and he's a good actor. Yeah. I'll give him that. That he sells it as much as he can. The dialogue sucks, but at least Kevin Sorbo can act with his eyes and his body a little bit. This movie is just puppets coming on the screen. It's like Rod and Todd from South Park. <laughs> just <laughs> oh my god! It's so at, at every part of this movie. There's not a good part. There's not a part that no. I was like, "This person's a fine actor," or "This person's like got something going for them." No, everybody sucked 
actual ass. <laughs> I I would believe that. I I will end with this. The the movie ends with well, one, they go back to the gym because they got to show the guy doing a couple of reps and how he won a few souls to God's army. But then it cuts to a sanctuary and these random homeschool looking people just well, stand it's the up sanctuary the that's the it's the sanctuary that's being used as the assembly hall for the biology class. Yeah. Whole yeah. thing's shot in the middle of the church. And it's I would all not be surprised if we watched another one of his movies and they use the exact same set pieces. Oh, definitely. The when they check into the college dorm, uh, it's a hundred percent a nursing home. There's wheelchairs in the front lobby, and you can see like a elder care poster in the background. <laughs> like this is low budget. But the last scene is people standing up and proclaiming their stance on evolution. And it's really not a great bit to end on it's there's no like hard sell it's just kind of these random like a nobel prize winner once said blah 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 uh religion can't work without science and science doesn't work without religion or something like that and they just kind of wander off with these quotes and then the movie just cuts to credits horrible i love it though (laughs) i oh man I, i am eating it and i just found out this morning that there is an entire channel on YouTube, it's just called Christian Videos. And I, I thought it was a parody account, but it's a real guy. He just posted yesterday and he is collecting all these Christian films he's either helped produce or uh, or direct or even act in since like 1980. So there's some 80s Christian films that we need to watch coming up next, but they are absolute ass on video. Actually, an ass on video would have been more entertaining. <laughs> I would have watched an hour and a half of just ass over this goddamn movie. Oh my god! I all right. I gotta stop talking about this one. Well, <laughs> speaking of ass, <laughs> tell us, Evan. Uh, today we're gonna be talking about forgiveness. Forgive Nass. Forgive Nass. Forgiving that ass. <laughs> um, Stupid. Scott, how what what was kind of the tenet of forgiveness that you were taught growing up? How how would you explain the Christian Ooh. the Christian idea of forgiveness to someone who is not a believer? Well, I think we've all heard the the, the verse about turning the other cheek um, when you're struck. So you know, Man, eye damn for it. eye, tooth for tooth. Speaking of ass, <laughs> we're gonna oh, talk we about miss turning that? We miss the cheeks. other cheek. God damn it. I know we're bad. We're not good at um, this. <laughs> I was taught that, and I I look back on this, and it seems a little problematic. Um, that you should forgive no matter what, in any case. That if you've been wronged, it is a Christian duty to not get angry. Well, to get have a righteous anger for all my people who are about to crack open their Bibles. There's a righteous anger you can have, but. You're not supposed to retaliate, and if someone wrongs you, you should offer that branch of forgiveness um, to them. So, now, what is righteous anger? Uh, for me, growing up, righteous anger was always. They always used the story of you know Jesus going into the temple and, and turning tables. That's a, a, a the uh, pinnacle story of righteous anger, where you can be angry, you can even have a an out lash you know of uh emotion but as long as you're not hurting people 
or and you're leading them to the Lord with your anger, as Jesus was doing. He wasn't trying to hurt people. He was just trying to, uh, you know, people turn tables upside down, and and I people forget they had a whip too. Yeah, he grabs a whip. That's a cat of nine tails. Yeah, so he gets a whip and he turns tables over, but it's all to point people to the true. Uh, the true God or the true belief in that. So righteous anger is you can be angry and almost violent, you could say, but it just has to be contained within not hurting others physically. <laughs> but what about you? Like how is forgiveness and retaliation presented to you? I think with anybody who has siblings, um, the big thing about forgiveness is it's kind of a, way for parents to just get siblings to stop fighting or to solve something, mm-hmm. um, which I would never fault any parent for. It's sure. like, tell your brother you're sorry. No, brother, tell him it's okay so that nobody stays mad at each other. Um, but what that doesn't, what that kind of lacks in teaching is the idea of staying with the fact that somebody has hurt your feelings and truly working through Yes. The actual path of forgiveness. You mm-hmm. just, like, it, it then becomes expected that if you do something wrong to somebody, you admit it and they're and say you're sorry and they're supposed to immediately forgive you. Yep. Um, yeah. That becomes kind of the expected path. Um, Khaled Husseini, who wrote The Kite Runner, has a great quote about forgiveness. I think I mentioned this last episode, um, where it's, or in an episode prior, where um, in The Kite Runner, the dad's talking about his father. <clears throat> and he finally comes to tone with his dad. And he says, maybe that's just what forgiveness is, is that you don't notice it until it happens, but forgiveness just is when, forgiveness is when hate and resentment just pack up their bags and leave. Hmm. And it's not like a real. It's not like an action you take necessarily. It's just something that happens. And it's that's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I, cause I always associate forgiveness with a one-time action. Like you just say you're, you, you know, you forgive somebody um, or you approach someone and say, I forgive you if you wronged me. But I never thought about in the context of it, creeps up on you or that it's more uh i don't say a state of mind but it's something you you can enter once you've reached a certain place with somebody of like okay i can forgive them because that's what sat a little uneasy with me is that it it feels disingenuine i think looking Mm -hmm. back i remember times where i would just say i forgave somebody if they wronged me or i remember seeing other people get wronged horribly uh and you know, maybe like a you might see like a courtroom scene of someone. I, I remember seeing videos like this where someone might have killed someone's son or daughter, and they you know they say, "Well, I just forgive you," you know, because I'm a Christian. But it feels so disingenuous because it doesn't feel like they. There surely there's no way they are over that in that amount of time, and there's no way that you can say that with a a confidence that you have truly forgiven them and moved on because. I don't think it's just a matter of saying you're forgiven. It's like you were saying, it's, it's something that you have to, th- that resentment is, is gone. And that yeah. one is forgiveness. Um, and that's where, 
And, and maybe it is something you actively work towards. Um, maybe it's something that you work on and maybe it's just something or maybe it's a matter of just dealing with it. Yeah. And then you get to the point of where you have ended dealing with it. Mm. Um, we all have family situations that are severe and sometimes dark. Mm-hmm. And there's a family member in every one of our families that has done something to ostracize the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a real thing to sit there and be like, I don't think that I'll ever forgive this person, nor do I want to. Yeah. That's a really good point of you. Ooh, that struck a chord. You had to want to forgive people as a Christian. And that, that was tough because there's times where you just did not want to forgive somebody because they, they hurt you and they weren't willing to say they were sorry or say, or approach you and try to make it right. Yeah. But the ball is always in your court to forgive and get over it. And I think it sets up particularly children with a mindset of that it's on them at all times to make a situation right. That if someone wrongs you, that you have to be the bigger person and forgive and get over it. Um, And that's a novel idea to teach because at the same time, like, you know, your brother accidentally hits you with a, with his bicycle, you know, (laughs) while you're out like riding bikes you know, you can't be mad at him. You got to be like, all right, well, it was an accident, you know, this sure. or the other, or you two get in a fight and one of you hits the other one. It's like, okay, chill out, say you're sorry. Okay, do you, do you forgive him, this, that, or the other? Um, but the idea that you should forgive somebody who has actively harmed you or your family yeah, is beyond insane. And so the idea, like, teaching kids the idea that uh, forgiveness is expected when wrongdoing happens, that can lead them into some predator-prey scenarios. Yes, absolutely. Especially if it's between adult and kids. Like if yeah. if an adult says something, lashes out, and you know, yells at one of their kids, and maybe they approach him like, oh, I, I spoke out of turn, the kid's supposed to go, it's okay, I'm sorry, you know, I know you're sorry, I forgive you. And to me, I think it's, looking back, I should, it seems healthier to have that kid go, I was hurt, and I'm not ready to forgive you just yet. Yeah. Like, I need, and I think that's okay. And I think that the principle of the Bible is is good. I'm not even against forgiving when it's tough. I, I think that's a really good value to teach people is that you should look for forgiveness in others kind of look for that positive intent of like, like you said, maybe it was an accident. I'm willing to forgive, or I am going to try to be a stronger person and resolve this issue. I think those are really great things to uh, be instilling in people, but I have a hard time with forgive no matter what the circumstances at all times. You have to just be ready to forgive at any point. But what I, I wanted to kind of go into the verse is, I think the Bible treats it very transactionally too. And that, and that there's a nuance to it that we leave out. Yeah. You know, as we get into 18, it talks about a forgiveness of debt, which is different than forgiving someone in a social interaction. Uh, So in Matthew 18, uh, verse 21, if you have your Bibles, 
And I hope you do. I always um, do. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him. And Peter was like, nice. Um, but <laughs> 70 times seven. And Peter was like, crap. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. That's a very talented man. Give me your all your talents. Give singing, me all of your dancing, talents. Choreography. Here, here touch this basketball. <laughs> Put all of your talent in it. Uh, since he had no way to pay it back, uh, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had uh, be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay me what you owe. At this time, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay him what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to the master everything that had happened. Then after the master summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? So even when the Bible, right right before this, Jesus, Jesus is saying, forgive 70 times seven. If you believe in numerology, you're like, okay, that's not 490 yeah. times. That's just, That's a complete amount of time. No, Jesus is just saying he took the number that Peter said and he was just like, all right, I just like a huge amount of times. So like, I, like forgive people amount of times now, but think, and he yeah. was like, think about it like this. If somebody wrongs you, be quick to forgive and be slow to hate. Yeah. But if they still fuck you over or if there's like, don't be this like walking doormat around the world. You know? Yeah. That's how I'm taking it. Uh, Cause he says, and his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. I remember, I can't remember if I preached on this verse, but I, I loved this parable um, for one of the reasons in 23, 24, and 25, they talk about how much is owed. And to, and to break that down, so the first king, his his servant owes him, says, what, uh, 10,000 talents, which is about 20 years wages. Uh, yeah. So a lot of money, basically like a lifetime's worth of work of money that he owes his, uh, his king. King is compassionate and forgives him. And so the whole point of this parable is to, I think it gets lost in the, we don't know how much these monetary values are. We're like, what's 10,000 and 20? And I have no idea. So if it was like a modern day English version, it's like, okay, so there's one man who has a lifetime amount of money that he owes. And then he turns around and it says he owes him, uh, what is it? A hundred denarii, which is about they say 20 weeks worth of wages. So it's still like a significant amount of money. And this is what I always preached about was uh, this person was still wronged pretty significantly. It's not like it was one day's wages. It was 20 weeks worth of wages. So racked up quite a bit. So to me, he has every right to still be a little like, hey, you owe me a good chunk of change and I need my money. So 
it's fascinating looking at this where as a kid, I'd read this verse and think, oh, it's just like a couple pennies, like big deal. Like, no, it's still a significant value. And Christ yeah. is saying, you still have to forgive, even if it's uh, because of the great forgiveness you've been uh, experienced. So it that to me gets lost um, just through translation. But I find it fascinating that we're still called to forgive greatly in these situations. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, in light of this parable, do you think that this parable is teaching the right thing? I think overall, this is a very, it's a good concept. I think it talks about um, knowing where you came from and gratitude. So in situations where if you're going to be angry, just remember how others maybe have been good to you. Um, There's a quote I really like saying nowadays is that gratefulness can pull you out of any bad situation. So there's in any spot in your life, if you can just reflect on, you know what, I haven't had it good or people have treated me well in the past, so I can treat this person kindly. So I think that's a good concept. Um, I just have thoughts about this as far as the theology and forgiveness and grace and works. I think that's a more interesting topic with this is what is Jesus trying to teach about? Like the last verse here is, so my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive from your heart. What is like, what does that mean to yeah. you? Like that last verse. I like, this is always something that is very troublesome when you get down to it because Jesus does talk about significantly that you do need to forgive other people in your heart. Um, there is a, another parable where either parable or passage where Jesus talks about uh, don't come to uh, the Father unless you have forgiven your brother first. Mm. And with all this being like with this parable and with that parable both in mind, it is very obvious that Jesus is uh, talking about the importance of forgiveness as something that needs to be achieved uh, for you. Um, and forgiveness is a lifelong process in some aspects. Um, yeah. And here, it's just a matter of forgiving debt. Exactly. I think that's why this is tough to apply to interactions we have where people wronged you uh, in a, I can't think of another way other than just like a social way. Someone's said something bad about you. Maybe someone actually was violent towards you or abused you. That's different than just owing someone money. And that's the whole point of the parable is they're trying to make it a very simple concept of, you know, big, you know, big debt forgiven, small debt, not forgiven who's right or wrong. So it's, it's, it's a parable for that reason. And what pains me is that this gets blown up to, like I was mentioning earlier of you just have to forgive all the time and it should be instant. Um, from your heart. And even then, Jesus talks about several times, he talks about a right way of living that is preemptive against forgiveness, where it's like the the, Mm. uh, adulterous woman being stoned. Mm. Um, He stops them and he says, okay, he without sin cast the first stone. And so he's trying to get 
folks to not have to be in a position sure to where they need to be forgiven for hurting other people mm-hmm. yeah um and so it's it's a bit of a t- double-edged sword and that's where i think the whole concept of forgiveness gets a little bit lost and muddied because this story again like you're saying tells a little bit more about something that is a little bit more easy to forgive which is debt um yeah it's, it day, can be transactional it's it can done be transactional um but if you are treating others in a kinder way, forgiveness becomes easier both towards you and towards other people, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm I'm curious too, because this flies in the face of what Paul mentions in about grace in the rest of the New Testament. Right. About how there's uh Nothing weighs upon your actions once you've been forgiven. And this verse says quite the opposite. I would say the literal opposite. Yeah. Jesus says a man was forgiven, so his debt is wiped. Therefore, he is, according to Paul's theology and what's in the rest of the New Testament, once you are forgiven, you are set free. You are you are made right with God. You are entered the kingdom of heaven. And then your works follow, and that's just kind of the benefit, the fruits of your, you know, the spirit come later. Yeah, your but Christ is saying, your works. Yeah, exactly. Christ is saying almost the opposite, that you've been forgiven, but uh, what really matters in the end is how are you treating others? And I wish we interpreted Jesus like this. I wish this is how it was, because I think Christians on the whole would be better people if it was more about, hey, your actions uh, are, are what make you right with God, in a sense. I don't remember what uh, passage it was I preached on. It might have been the tax collector and the Pharisee. Um, but one of my points in it was if your belief system, if your worldview, if your the way you believe in Jesus does not inform you on how to t- treat your neighbor better, you have a false religion. Damn, Evan. I remember That's when semin- everyone started stoning you in church, right? Was, well, a seminarian <laughs> did walk up to me, and he was like, I thought that was really interesting. He didn't say that in a way that was like, mm. I thought you made some good points. He was like, I thought he wanted to get technical with me, but he couldn't find a way to get technical with me because it's like, all right, like you are supposed to be a better person if you believe in Jesus. You yeah. are supposed to treat other people better. Oh, that that's just unlocking a whole topic of if Christians... If, if it's a true change of your life that, you know, when you give your life to Christ or when you are forgiven, that then those fruits come, why do we see such even statistics as far as crime and pieces of shit in and outside the church? And that, that to me is alarming. If I was part of the church and it's like, if I took a poll within a, a big, a big church, let's say there's a thousand people, how many have speeding tickets? How many have, uh, abuse their spouses, how many have cheated on their taxes. I bet those stats would look identical to if you just pulled a thousand people at random in the city. Yeah. And so, and it doesn't make sense. And then the argument's always, well, Christians aren't perfect. We're just like you and me, but it's like, then what's the point? If your works aren't changing after it, then what are we doing? It's all, it's selfish to me is that argument is because they're saying, well, it's just about me getting into heaven, but I know I'm not perfect. Yeah. 
I don't understand. I don't think that's what Christ is teaching at all. No. And it rubs me the wrong way and even more as I get into my old age. But uh, And this yeah, gets the, into, we were recording our hell episode last time and I started to go off the rails and we cut that part oh and boy. decided to do another episode. <laughs> but I asked the question, what if Hitler at the end of his life gave his life to Jesus. Well, here's a real example. Jeffrey Dahmer did that in prison. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I, I, Hitler was a professing Catholic, I believe. So George Wallace did it at the end of his life. Yeah. So we, we have real examples of absolute monsters giving their life to Christ at the last minute. And it's their ticket to heaven. Um, it, it, I doesn't sit right. And I think, I think deep down Christians also don't find it right and just, I don't think it feels like a just way to handle someone who has been an incredible menace and horrific person their whole life can suddenly go, well, I believe in God and, uh, he, his forgiveness is the you know greatest in all the universe. So he can forgive a sinner like me. Um, they get the exact same outcome and reward as someone who is, a faithful servant or, or just a good person their whole, or you yeah. have a good person who's an atheist. Like a Billy Graham or a mother Teresa. Like <laughs> yeah, those folks get yeah. their ticket to heaven by uh, mother Teresa. This. She wasn't a saint either, but <laughs> no, she wasn't. Neither was Billy Graham, but like yeah. comparable to Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like that never sat well with me. I think in the height of my belief, I would have agreed and said, well, you know, once you give your life, that's, that's how it goes. Like, Christ can forgive even the the lowest of sinners. Um, so here's my question. Yeah. Um, how much good works do you have to do? How many, you know, how many, uh, how much on your punch card do you have to punch in order to get into heaven? Ooh, I mean, is this me talking right now? <laughs> I want to navigator know, Scott. I want to know navigator Scott and now Scott. Well, navigator Scott would have agreed wholeheartedly that it's all about grace and that what's what makes God um, look foolish to the world is that his ways are above our ways. So like even our justice system would say, no, this person deserves the death penalty, but God's justice would go, no, like everybody deserves a second chance, even if they're a complete, you know, Everybody deserves the death penalty and God is reaching down his grace and offering an opportunity. Honestly, that's how, you know, uh, we are all nothing but worms and scum. So we're all, we're all vaginal pads (laughs) as it says in Isaiah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like right. Yeah. Uh, dirty rags, AKA, uh, used tampons. Yeah. Um, but so I think, God just sees us all as garbage anyway, no yeah. matter what. So what if he forgives somebody out of his own grace and compassion, that's his decision and it's God's decision. Um, and if so you're I would a say Calvinist, no you have to, if you're a Calvinist, you have to accept that he opts to not forgive some. Oh yeah. And yeah. that, I want to save that for another episode about like Romans 13 and how God chooses people to die away from him because it's like, someone throwing pottery on the ground for the sake of throwing it on the ground, because why not? That, yeah. that is what Romans 13 is about is that 
God chooses to forgive some because he feels like it, and he chooses to destroy others because he feels like it. That's yeah. what it boils down to. Okay, so we got Navscott and his answer to how much how uh, much works is required to get into heaven. What is current Scott? Well, I would say one, heaven's uh not real, but <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if I was saying it's a real place and I'm kind of following uh the themes of the Bible, I would argue that you have to at some, you have to show that fruit of mm-hmm. salvation. And so if someone's on their deathbed and they've been a piece of shit their whole life, how do they show that spirit of salvation? Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's a good answer for it because no. I'm thinking about like Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm sure he was sincere. I don't doubt that he was probably sincere in that cell that he gave his life to Christ. But yeah. But is it more uh, just that God lets him in with all the other saints or is it more just for God to say too little too late? Yeah. To me, it seems that uh, there should be a special place in hell for him. <laughs> yeah. But and that's where that's my problem with heaven. So we talked about hell in the last yeah. episode and we talked about the problem of hell. Um but the problem of heaven and the problem of the doctrine of heaven, as far as Christianity goes, especially Protestant Christianity, is that anybody can get in as long as they confess with Jesus in their yeah. heart and in their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Um, and you have this unique ability to include everybody. It doesn't sit right. I can't imagine serving my whole life in and following the tenets of the Bible and you get to heaven and you're you get to handshake Jeff Dahmer at the gates because like, oh, oh, I didn't, didn't think I'd see you here. Didn't think you were at this party. Mm. Uh it, it just doesn't feel right. And I think and I go back to saying this, I've been saying this all the time, but it just feels disingenuous that yeah. you really believe that's what's gonna happen. That you really think someone like Jeff Dahmer is gonna get the exact same reward and outcome as somebody else that is a a genuine good person. It, it doesn't sit right, and I think people know it doesn't sit right, but they have to push the agenda forward of grace covers everything. Um, so we run into problems, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll say this. I don't think I ever believed in Satan, like as a kid. I think mm. it was always ridiculous. I think I like, certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know. Uh, I, know. <laughs> I think as far as like hell goes, like the closest I ever got was when I found that fake website about a communist thinking he discovered hell. Um, <laughs> he dug a hole in his yard, solved fire. Was, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I think heaven, I always had a belief in. And I think even to this day, when I'm sitting down and talking about it, it's not a right concept in my yeah. brain. I think it makes more sense for there to be a hell than a heaven. Oh, interesting. I think it's easier to prove. Um, hmm. that, I think it's easier to prove that you know, uh, Mister Rogers should be in hell than it is for <laughs> Hitler to be in heaven. Sure, I I could give you that. I yeah. To me, the rules of, you know, if this is God's world and He just wants to send people to hell no matter what, then that's His decision. But don't say He's a just God. Um because he's bringing people into heaven that I don't think deserve it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's like, an interesting why point. does he, why does, why now does he get to, why, 
God, I'm stumbling over this. <laughs> why does why does Jeffrey Dahmer now get to be in the same buffet line as the people he killed? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sit right. Um, and you can sit there and be like, well, God's ways are not always. We have a flawed view of justice. Fucking fine, but like read the rest of the Bible and read how Jesus approaches justice. Read how you know, in some aspects, God approaches justice. Like, yeah, if, if you believe that God is a just God and you believe he's always looking out for the meek, and if you believe that, like, the Beatitudes talk about blessed are the meek, then you need to have some kind of... And you believe that God is not totally absent and ignoring this world. Yeah. Then you need to have some kind of idea that... God would not allow somebody into heaven that just says that they want to go. Yep. It, it, it feels selfish that I, I remember thinking through uh, some of these scenarios in my brain as a kid uh, before college and everything of, man, what if I could just, I know Paul addresses a new Testament before people get after me, but what if I could just, I'll just sin as much as I can now. And then I'll just, pray to God, you know, when I'm a little bit older, I remember thinking this, this is a funny personal thought I had one time was like, you know, I could just, maybe I will just like be a bad boy. Maybe I'll just go do drugs. (laughs) Maybe I'll be, you know, loosey goosey and I'll go everywhere I want to go and do whatever I want to do and live the funnest life ever. And then I'll just ask for God's forgiveness, maybe like 10 years. Not too late, because I don't want to wait till I'm like 80 and accidentally get hit by a car and I didn't pray in time. But maybe I'll just give like a 10-year vacation from God, and then I'll pray about it and make it right. That doesn't feel right, because at the core of that, what you're saying is, and this gets in a whole argument about um, when people say, well, there, there's no morals without God. You know, there's no morals. I, I know uh, Penn Jillette has a, a great quote about morality in the Bible saying, I have raped and killed exactly the amount of people I've wanted to rape and kill in my life apart from God. And that is zero. I've never wanted to do those things. And I think that's proves the point is that we should be able to do whatever we want outside the Bible. Um, but if you want to do those things, if you want to hurt people, you have a bigger problem. Like if, if the only reason you're hurt, uh, not hurting others is because you have an eternal reward waiting for you at the end of your life, that's not good. That's not a genuine faith and, and genuine good person. That's someone that's just being reactant, you know, to their surroundings. And um, I would go so far as to argue that, like, if you want to say that being around church and being around Christians puts you in a place of better morality, that's not true. That yeah. is categorically not true. The Southern Baptist Convention covered up over 700 counts of sexual abuse. Yep. Yeah. There's categorically it's safer to just not go. Yeah. You have like <laughs> or at the very least it's the exact same risk in And both, these men were dre- these men were dressed in tuxedos and not dresses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they yeah. weren't having big old drag oh. shows in front of you. They were dressed as pastors in the pulpit. Absolutely. Well, Evan, what's your final thought on Matthew 18? 
I think it's complicated how simple it is. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I, I think forgiveness, again, is something that's very complicated and something that you have to go through your whole life wrestling with and dealing with. Maybe you get to that point, maybe you don't. And I think in either case, it's fine, as long as you're kind of on the right side of it. Um, I think in this case, I, I think maybe in this time period, there was a lot of financial debt being thrown around between a lot of folks. And that's really what the question was, is should I forgive my brother yeah. his debt? And it's like, sure. I mean, yeah, like, aren't you family kind of deal? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what Jesus was throwing hmm. back to Peter in this moment. Yeah. Um, but it shouldn't be lost on us that that Jesus' other teachings are like, hey, just like, be don't put yourself in a situation where you need to be forgiven a big sin. Yeah. Like don't don't put yourself in a situation where you are going to be a dick. Like don't think you're better than anybody else, you know. We're mm-hmm. all kind of trying our best. Yeah. Um it's kind of how I like to think about what Jesus's teachings were is he was like do do good, live right, understand you're probably not going to live up to it. And try not to judge other people for not measuring up either. Hmm. I think that's, and maybe I'm wrong <laughs> on how I think Jesus lives, but if I were to simplify it yeah. in the parables that I know, in the teachings that he had, or at least like the records that we have based on a couple of for parables, sure. I think you could boil it down to Jesus taking the Pharisees' teachings and then just being like, all right, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't miss the people for the law. I th- yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't be that, a dick. Yeah. He's, it was more just about like, he had a lot of teachings about being, you know, kind to one another, loving your neighbor as yourself, different things like that. And, you know, when it comes to something like forgiveness, his whole thing is, you know, if somebody forgave you of one thing, you should forgive another person of another thing. Like yeah. it, you should, why, why not pass that on? You know, why, why yeah. should you have a position of superiority in that respect? Right. Yep. Um, Scott, yeah, what about you? What, what my, are your, what are your, what are your ending thoughts? I'll put a, a bow on this is I think the thing that's missing for me and I wish I had growing up with this verse is that it's okay to take inventory of your own feelings during when you're wronged. And I think that, I think that message was lost on me growing up. It was more about the transactional forgiveness of if you are a Christian. And I think it's because it it scared me because verse 35 scared me that my heavenly father will, will do to every one of you. If you don't forgive your brother from your heart. So I felt like I have to find a way to genuinely forgive somebody quickly um, if they've wronged me. Should I die? <laughs> <laughs> or else I'm going to die. So, yeah, I, I wish I could just go back and go, you know what? It's okay to take time to forgive. It yeah. doesn't have to be instantaneous. I think it's good to look for forgiveness and to search for it. Don't be closed off to it. But you can also take time and take inventory of what you need and how much you've been wronged. Um, 
And ultimately, I, like you said earlier, sometimes it's okay not to forgive somebody. Yeah. And I wish that was told to me that sometimes yeah. someone really wrongs you, you don't, you're not obligated to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Yep. So should, should the victims of 9-11 forgive Osama bin Laden? Oh my God. <laughs> I like I like that's yeah. like should Anne Frank's dad, should he have forgiven Hitler? Like the, these Evan, are. It is two minutes to go. We're bringing up Hitler again. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Um, but I like you. It's all fine and well to talk about these things in concept. You need to talk about them in reality. You need to have real yes. world examples. Should the families of the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer forgive Jeffrey Dahmer? Like there is that famous yeah. video of that like mm-hmm. guy who shot up that church, and then the pastors are like, "We forgive you," and it's like why he just yeah. walked into your church and shot you like it's i with it yeah it's not genuine it, it doesn't feel genuine i don't buy it it seems especially if it's that quick i, I just no. i don't buy it i think it has to and i think they're missing the last part of the verse it has to come from your heart and yeah. i don't think that kind of forgiveness what it sets up is that you're supposed to say you're sorry before you're ready to say you're sorry yeah and that and leads like to that. resentment it doesn't and it leads to cold people who don't check feelings with people and they don't yeah. check uh they're not living in reality they're living yeah. in this kind of just made up like well i said i'm forgiven and i'm a better person and yeah that's how it goes um forgiveness evan what's, yeah, what's, what's on your list <laughs> what's what are you what are you working through the last couple of minutes here um uh we started watching this nice little show nice little show um and we're about halfway through it now it's called young sheldon (laughs) because we're we're 40 um but it's a nice little show nice little show nice show it's it's nice it's i think it's different than the big bang theory um and i think it's nice i think it's a nice (laughs) nice little show He's going to plug it every episode. He loves Young Sheldon. Did I already plug Young Sheldon? You have. But it's okay. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Evan loves the show. <laughs> well, I do like it. Um, I, I'm i just hooked on this Christian Videos uh, channel on YouTube. I'm about to binge every video from this archive. Um, I believe there was one about two hot dog salesmen in the 1980s that find Christ or something like that. So that's next on my list. But if you... Catch me watching anything. It's guaranteed going to be just shit Christian movies for the rest of my life. I'm hooked. So that's all I got. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening to our episode today. We really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at UnblessedPod. You can also email us at UnblessedPod at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. And without further ado, my name is Evan. And I'm Scott. And don't forget to close your Bible.